The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Good morning. All right. Good morning. Open your Bibles to Ephesians, where we read from just a bit ago. Ephesians chapter 4. Well, as we're getting settled in, it looks like we are. Let's go ahead and open our time in prayer this morning. Well, Father God, as we do now transition into uh, a time with our Bibles open to, to hear from you, and the preaching of your word, I, I pray that likewise our hearts are open before you. Open, exposed, and soft, placed in your hand, that you would have your way. Magnify Christ, exalt him, convict sin, draw us near to you, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I am delighted to bring God's word this morning from Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to start to draw your attention to an observation of mine from the text to kick us off this morning in the study of God's word. The opening verse. Verse 17 of our passage in chapter 4 reads, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And we'll hold up there just for a moment. Does this sound vaguely familiar at all? If If you've been traveling along with us through Paul's letter to the Gentile church in Ephesus, perhaps you're you're looking back to the beginning of this chapter, chapter 4, verse 1, which starts off saying, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's familiar language, right? Why would Paul start off with the one and then bring in the other a fair distance down in his letter? The picture that comes to mind for me, as I consider why, is a bit, like, a bit like the difference between being an active, contributing part of a road trip versus just being along for the ride. Sort of like when my parents took us camping as children, their experience in the cab of the truck was completely different than my brother's and mine who rode up in the upper bunk of the camper, right, positioned above the cab of the truck. Totally illegal today, 
But in the 80s, it was the best way for children to, tra to travel, in my opinion. <laughs> Absolutely loved it. We were totally along for the ride. Careless viewing of, of the oncoming scenery and vehicles, playing card games or even car games such as Dib. I'll explain that later what that is, but Dib or Slugbug. You know, wrestling with each other, which often resulted in, in some mild scuffles, which we never told our parents about. And then usually, of course, a, a bulk portion of the travel was spent, what do you think? Sleeping. Yeah, sleeping. Just lights out, drooling, heavy sleep. In a nutshell, we were totally along for the ride. No contribution whatsoever on our part to, to the travel. No participation in the journey to our destination at all. Asleep for most of it. While on the other hand, my father and mother each played their active contributing roles during the road trip from start to finish working together to safely arrive at the intended destination. They were not just along for the ride. Well, what I believe Paul is leading his audience to arrive at this morning is that the Christian plays an active role in God's work of grace in them. They, Christians, are not merely along for the ride. What he, Paul, what he began at the start of chapter 4 as urging the believers whom he is writing to, in light of the glory of God's grace revealed to them through the gospel, in light of the spiritual blessings, the Christian, you and I, that we have because of the gospel of the grace of God, how we ought to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Paul now moves from what virtuous attributes of the heart he describes a saved sinner ought to have in the opening verses of chapter 4, in light of God's calling on their lives, to now, to now putting some details as to what should not be present and what should be present. The active role the Christian has in God's work of grace in them. He continues this really through the rest of the epistle, all the way to the end. Our focus this morning, however, is simply to get on board with Paul. Get on board with Paul and take hold of this truth together. That the Christian plays an active role in God's work of grace in them. We begin doing so by looking at the life of one without Jesus. The life of one without Jesus. That which everyone once lived, and that which we are no longer to be like. The life of one without Jesus. Let's go ahead and read verses 17 through 19 to see this. Taking up God's word. Verse 17, Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, 
and the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. A uniform description of one without Jesus. Jesus, you know, the, the light of the world, as he, as he spoke repeatedly of himself in the Gospels, as well as, as well as who his followers are to be, right? Perhaps you are familiar with the song that sings, you know, Light of the world, you stepped out into, you can join, darkness. Open my eyes, let me see beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. And we'll stop there. Yeah. I mean, how how accurate that depicts what Jesus did and needed to do to deliver us, to deliver us from the state described by Paul here in these three verses. Psalm 36.9 says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. And that's just it, right? That's just it. Only only with the light of the world, only with Jesus do we see things rightly as in the brightness of day and not as in the darkness of night. With Jesus, you know, one's, one's outlook on life becomes completely transformed from what it was in their life without Jesus. They have a different mindset now. All has shifted. But until, until one comes to Jesus, until their life is in the light of his presence, they remain in darkness, as depicted concisely here by the Apostle Paul. Blindly, under the rule and reign of God, rule and reign of the God of this world, under Satan. The Apostle John states it this way. It says, we know, in 1 John 5, 19, we know that we, the born-again Christian, we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world, which included Every Christian prior to their conversion, prior to the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ setting them free, you know, prior to that, they were in darkness with the rest of, man, of mankind as described here by Paul. Now, to examine this passage together more closely and see how all these descriptions he gives, all the, how the, all the descriptions given relate to one another, regarding life of one without Jesus, I call your attention to the end of verse 18. 
which says, do to their hardness of heart. Do to their hardness of heart. Futility of their minds. Darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. All, all do to the hardness of heart. And therefore have become, you know, the results of it, callousness and giving self over to sensuality and greedy to practice every kind of impurity, all due to hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. You know, hardness of heart is not something necessarily easy to discern. It may, it may be, it may very well be quite evident in how they carry themselves outwardly, you know, sure. But one who is very hard of heart may be quite jovial. They actually may be quite jovial or, and even bear a, a soft countenance about them while remaining obstinate in unbelief. As, the, as, the, as goes the saying, you can't judge a book by its cover. The outer shell of one who is hard-hearted can be many different flavors or textures, figuratively speaking, while in their heart they remain obstinate in unbelief. Because you know, that's the essence of being hard-hearted, isn't it? Unbelief. Jesus, was, who was grieved over hardness of heart of the Pharisees, even rebuked his disciples for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him, him, Jesus, after he rose from the grave. And that's just one example. He, he was either, if they weren't hard of heart, they were slow of heart to believe, right? It's always in the heart. Unbelief which can be present even in the Christian at various times, but most assuredly in one whose life is without Jesus. Re- regardless of outward appearance or perceived persona, life of one without Jesus is one who is in unbelief. One who is hard-hearted and fits into Paul's concise yet complete description of them. And we, we see this in non-believers, right? And many here are able to remember back to life without Jesus and attest to it. Let's look at walking in the futility of their minds, just to kind of step into this a little further. And you know, not many years ago, this may have, this may have proven a bit difficult to, to prevent a convincing argument. Today, Simply go to the headlines. Simply go to the headlines and see what is happening in our culture, in our government. I mean, take, for instance, our culture's thinking on gender. It's ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. Minds considered to be of great intellect are not just accepting the perversion of gender identity, but are advancing the distortion of what ought to be considered fundamental truth. Born a male, they are a male. All the way into manhood to the point of death. Born a female, 
she, not them, they, or it, but she will grow to be a woman. Likely give birth to another male or female as women made, in, made by God are designed to do. Futility in their mind, darkness in their understanding. Yeah, slam dunk. It's not hard to make that argument these days. You don't need to be a Christian to say what is happening to the thinking of our world. Where is the common sense gone? I've heard many say that who are not believers. But let's press this a little bit further. That was too easy. Let's press this a bit further, shall we? Even just thinking about thinking. Like, we can do a lot of thinking, right? I mean, consider the mind's ability to be able to think and ponder. It truly is amazing. There's, There's a type of power to it. A power that can prevent you from falling asleep or even cause an illness. You know, anyone attest to this? Up all night, fretting, like unable to turn your own mind off? Being sick with worry, like literally sick to the stomach or migraine headaches, nausea, muscle spasms, chest pain, heart palpitations? And the like, I mean, literally sick with worry. There's a power to what our mind's ability is able to do. Think also about the volumes, the volumes of books written by great thinkers over the ages. You know, huge buildings required to contain them, and now there's data files and archives of which volumes of information contained in them are beyond figures that I could present to measure. But if you think about it, if you think about it, if if this tremendous thinking, or if any tremendous thinking is, is done not in accordance to truth, to who God is, and understanding the framework of the purpose of life, is not all this thinking futile? Ultimately, useless in the end? I mean, I don't, I don't care if you have Tony Stark's mind. To use a make-believe example of a monumental mind, an intellectual giant far beyond all others, holding great fame, both in the movie world and in our world. Regardless, Regardless of unthinkable breakthroughs and extravagant, mesmerizing inventions made, if darkened in your understanding, being alienated from the life of God, then it all results in a pointless, futile, and useless end to your life. You go to your grave a condemned sinner. Guilty of every act and or thought of sensuality and impurity. And impurity is just anything God would not approve of. Unholy conduct whatsoever. Any act or thought, impurity of your, that your unbelieving hard heart without hesitation gave itself over to. The Christian's life should not resemble this should not resemble a life of one without Jesus, Paul is saying. It simply should not. 
you must no longer walk as they do, says Paul. Must not, not non-optional. A sharp, distinct contrast to that sort of life resulting from a hard, hardened heart of which Christians may be guilty of. I mean, what, what adult here doesn't know of a, of a believer or pastor who has succumbed to some sexual sin? Whether personally or in the news. You know, sadly, we know of them. Perhaps you're one of them. Paul commonly puts this, sensuality, sexual immorality, lasciviousness, as the King James translation states it. Puts, Paul puts this particular class or type of sin up front when describing life without Jesus. And I believe it's because it's so pervasive throughout all time and culture. I mean, read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. It is full of scandal and brute honesty of sexual immorality in all its perverted forms, from cover to cover. And how many godly men have fallen prey to the deadly viper of lust? Proverbs 7, 24 through 27. Oh, sons, you hear that plea in there? Oh, sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. That's hell. The warning in God's word is clear. When Paul lists the works of the flesh of those who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, both times he leads out with sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. He leads out with those, saying those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. So Christian, actively guard your heart against becoming hard-hearted, callous, you know, insensitive to its encroachment upon your soul. You know, this is the way the Gentiles live, the way you once lived. Actively take part now. Actively take part in knowing the distinction. Knowing the distinction. Actively mark this, in a sense, Paul is saying. Like, do your part. Mark this, Christian. Mark this, believer. Know this distinction of a life without Jesus and that it must not be you. If there, is, if there is evidence of this remaining in your life, any remaining element in your thinking, giving yourself over to sensuality and impurity, unflinching and condoning anything that God himself would not approve of, unholy conduct, and of, conduct of any sort, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. 
If you stand in the presence of Jesus, the light of the world, it shouldn't. This must not be the case. Why? For that is not the way you learn Christ, Paul says in verse 20. That's not the way you learn Christ, moving along with him now, and how the Christian plays an active role in God's work of grace in them. It begins in the life of one having met Jesus. Our second point, drawn from verses 20 through 21. The life of one having met Jesus. Because that's the turning point, right? That's the turning point. Not before, but at the time the life of one meets Jesus, they begin to actively participate in God's work of grace in them all the way to their with him in glory. Paul, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, okay? Made up mostly of Gentile believers. And he's, he's going to drive hard this point of a changed life, of no longer walking as hard-hearted unbelievers. Why do I say that? Let's read verses 20 and 21. Why do I say that? Verses 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ! Exclamation point. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now I say again. I say again, Paul knows to whom he's writing to, Right? He knows who he's, who he's writing to. The Christian church he planted in Ephesus, made up of Gentiles, mostly of Gentiles, whom he spent nearly three years instructing in the ways of Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him. Assuming, what is, what is Paul doing here? Why is he saying that? Paul is making a point Sort of like if I were to say to someone I know whom I see using the yellow pages, let me use you, Jason, for an example, using the yellow pages, searching for a restaurant. I'm assuming you've heard of the internet, haven't you? Right? Knowing full well that he has, and therefore that he ought to know the vast information that is a few finger swipes away. That's unless he uses Siri, then it's just, hey, Siri, pizza, Parkdale, where? You know, phone number's right there. Siri does the searching for you. So knowing then that they have heard or Jason has heard about the internet, I'm making the point of why are you behaving as if you haven't? You're searching the yellow pages when Google's at your fingertips. Come on, man. Get with the now. I mean, do you see the arguing logic that Paul is using there? And children... Your parents can explain to you later about yellow pages. I can hear some of you are like, yellow pages, colored pages. I hear Nora through Zoom. You know, it's craft time, you know? <laughs> Ask them later. They'll explain yellow pages, maybe even phone booths. Yes, phone booths, okay? Let that be a conversation piece to talk about the sermon later. But the point is, the point is, though, with this illustration, that similarly... Paul is challenging. He's challenging these believers 
whom he has taught about Christ, the one whom they are to live like. The perfect example of living after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, which is what we are created by God for as his image bearers. True living, true living is living as the author of life lived. Paul is driving, ho- driving home hard this point. Life of one having met Jesus must, must bear a stark contrast to life of one without Jesus. Then begs the question, have you met Jesus? Have you met Jesus? Maybe you, maybe you think you have, but really haven't. There is a monumental big difference, worlds apart difference between a concept of Jesus a a knowledge about Jesus versus actually meeting Jesus and following him, coming, coming under his rule and reign in your life. A heaven and hell difference. Meeting Jesus in this way changes you fundamentally changes who you are. Which leads us to our travel destination. Verses 22 through 24. The life of one working with Jesus. The life of one working with Jesus. If you've truly met Jesus... From that day forward, your life is one working with Jesus. Our third point, putting this into practice, you know, placing, placing our feet on the ground, if you will, in our role of actively participating with God's work of grace in us. When the Father of lights, as James states it, when the Father of lights of his own will brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first, a kind of first fruits of his creatures, when we truly believe the gospel concerning his son, our, our life took an about face, right? Took an about face away from the world away from the world and towards him to live life in light of his presence, actively participating with him in his work of grace in our hearts. These closing verses provide clear instruction for us on what that looks like. And there are, there are two Two key words, two key words that provide, they provide the framework, okay? Framework for this. 
We'll have a little Greek lesson for us this morning, okay? The first word is the word for put off. Put off. The Greek word for this is epitothemy. Say with me. Epitothemy. Yes, I practiced that plenty. Epitothemy. This Greek word means to put off, to renounce, to deny, to reject as belonging to. I like that. To refuse to own. Renounce the world and its cares. As Titus states, or Paul states in Titus 2.12. Renounce. We are, we are not of this world, are we not? Not if you've truly met Jesus. No. And have been brought forth by the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, him, Jesus, as Lord and Savior of your soul, no, you are not of this world, and therefore, nor should you be living as if you are. Jesus said to deny yourself. You know, pick up your cross. Die to old self is essentially what he says there. Pick up your cross and follow him. Stated elsewhere in scripture, your life is not your own. It's not your own. You've been bought with a price. Put off, therefore, that old self that has died with Christ and put on the new life in Christ whom we are alive in. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The Bible says, That old man was crucified with Christ on Calvary, and the life you now live, you live by faith in Jesus Christ. I know you guys know or are familiar with Galatians 2.20, right? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, that's like right here now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the transformation. That's life with Jesus. Your life is not your own. Therefore, put off. You know, put off that old self and put on, your, put on Christ. Put on the life of Christ. We the Christian, we the Christian, we play an active role in God's work of grace in our hearts, in our lives. It's not passive. You are not just along for the ride. You are not just along for the ride. We are saved by grace alone, right? Because maybe you're thinking that. Of course we are. Titus, Titus 3, 3 through 7, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through 
Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his what? His grace. His grace. Justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Saved by grace. It's all grace. It's all God's power at work in you, transforming you from one degree of glory to the next, sanctifying your life more into the image of Christ, of which we, of which we work with God in him doing. I want this to sink hard home. Our home hard. I want it to sink in with me. I am a sojourner with you. A guest here, a guest here on this earth, participating in, engaging with his grace, with a father of lights, grace operating in us by the Holy Spirit, which bears weight on our eternal inheritance. I don't want you to miss this, saints. Our working with God, in which he alone can only do by grace alone, bears weight on our eternal inheritance. Let me state it this way. Our capacity, our capacity to enjoy the glory of God will vary based on our life lived by faith here and now. Do you understand what I'm saying? Everyone, everyone saved enjoys God's glory for all eternity. Every one of us. But, but the measure we have the capacity to enjoy him is determined by our life lived by faith during our earthly pilgrimage. We, Christians, are judged according to our works. Not for salvation, but for our heavenly reward. We get God, and our life lived by faith now bears weight on our capacity to enjoy him for all eternity. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Randy Alcorn, the author of Money, Possessions, and Eternity, agrees, saying two jars can, can both be full, but the one with greater capacity contains more. Likewise, all of us will be full of joy in heaven, but some may have more joy because their capacity for joy will be larger having been stretched through trusting God in this life. Consider also John Bunyan's thoughts on the topic. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress. 
he says, and he poses a question first, like Paul often does, and why shall he that doth most for God in this world enjoy most of him and that which is to come? There's that question. He answers, but because by doing and acting, the heart and every faculty of the soul is enlarged and more capacitated, whereby more room is made for glory. Every vessel of glory shall at that day be full of it, but everyone will not be capable to contain a like measure. And so if they should have it communicated to them, would not be able to stand under it. Do you hear what that's saying there? For there is an eternal weight in the glory that the saints shall enjoy. And every vessel must be at that day filled. That is, have its heavenly load of it. He that is best bred and that is most in the bosom of God and that so acts for him here, he is the man that will be best able to enjoy most of God in the kingdom of heaven. So well stated. We work with God. We are not merely along for the ride. We participate in, engage along with his grace, the Father's grace operating in us by the Holy Spirit, which bears weight on our eternal inheritance. Put off, renounce that old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and put on the second Greek word to complete the framework of this text. The Greek word for put on is enduo. Say it with me. Enduo. Enduo. Epitothemy, put off, and now enduo, meaning put on. In a sense, sinking into a garment, to, to invest with clothing, literally or figuratively. This, this new life we, we put on in such a way. Think of, how, uh, think of how, how what you wear, in a way, puts you in a mindset of what you're about to do. Think of Nathan, you know, putting on his flight suit, getting geared up to fly. Or even myself changing into scrubs before I begin my work. You know, whatever the attire that suits the job at hand, you, you put it on, literally. I imagine, I imagine Nathan would feel pretty out of place if he were wearing his PJs while boarding a plane to pilot. Now, PJs at home, when you are winding out your day, I'm not sure about your house, but the Schreibers, we sink into those garments. Love PJs. 
soft, comfy, cozy PJs. Grace is smiling because it starts at four o'clock and some days for her. <laughs> and there's even occasional days in the year where we're just supporting that all day long, right? Just comfy cozies. Are we the only ones here that can do that or that do that? They're fun. But at any rate, the point to consider is, the point to consider is figuratively, you know, this, this new life in Christ that we are called to, clothed in his righteousness by faith, we are to sink into that garment. Sink into that garment. Put, put it on as to the mindset, you know, and the, the outlook of who you are and how you're going to live each day. If it helps... As you're addressing for the day, you know, take the literal putting on of the clothing that you're putting on to remind you to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Put off and put on, you know, conveying our active role in working with God's work of grace in us. That's what that conveys. The framework is set. The framework is set. Now let's, let's complete the build by applying the, the finishing touches as to the, as to the means provided by God to do so. And we got to love God because he does. He said, work with me and here's how to do it. Where do we find this? Where do we find this? Verse 23. On the coattails of speaking about the corruptness of our former manner of life through deceitful desires, God, through the Apostle Paul, says to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Renewed in the spirit of your minds. How exactly is this done? Take another passage by Paul to the same effect. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Transformed by the renewal of your mind. Renewal. Reform, renovate, take on a, a new mindset, altogether a new way of thinking. Where does this come from? Could it be anything other than God's word? Let's read some passages from Psalm 119 to solidify this from scripture. Verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk, there's that word again, walk in the law of the Lord. Verse 19, I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. Verse 37, turn my eyes away. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Turn them from that and give me life in your ways. Where are God's ways found? In his word. 
Verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Verse 130, the unfolding of your, your words, God's words, the unfolding of your words gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. Verse 144, your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Verse 175, let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. <laughs> I love that. Let, them, let your rules help me. This is what I want to do. And finally, finally, the word of God quoted by Jesus, coincidentally, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus quoting from the Torah when being tempted by the devil in the wilderness, you guys know it, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The renewing of your mind by the word of God, of which we then put into practice renewed in the spirit of our minds, renewed by taking God's word in, reading it, listening to it taught, singing it together, meditating upon it, hiding it in our hearts. That's how we have this mind among ourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. God's word. Only by renewing the spirit of our minds, by the intake of God's word, are we able to see through the deceitful, our own deceitful desires that draw us back to the old manner of life. Do you guys see that? That's how we're able to see through those deceitful desires, because those desires come. Daily they'll be there. And we need, God, we need God's word to filter through them and see rightly, to see in the day, see the light of what is true and what is false. Don't listen to the deceiver, Satan, that serpent, because he will come. He comes and he tries to deceive you, same as he did so to Eve. His tactics haven't changed can hear him now. Right? It's all grace, man. It's all grace. Just let it go. You don't, you don't need to try. You don't need to renounce sin. Enjoy the ride. Fight temptation? No. Why? It's all grace. Jesus got your back. That deception leads to hell. That deception leads to hell. No, you must put it off. Epitome. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on and duo. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Having arrived, having arrived to, to tie off this, this package gift 
from God to us this morning. I bring us to James, to James chapter one. You may turn there if you like, but you don't need to. Verses 23, excuse me, 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You know what he says there? That's thinking you are a Christian when in fact you may not be. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once, at once forgets what he is like. No change whatsoever. That's what that's saying there. No change but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, remains steadfast in obedience, and bears fruit with repentance when they don't, pursuing holiness in the fear of God, the one who perseveres in the ways of Christ, being no, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts He will be blessed in his doing. Actively participating with or in God's work of grace in them to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, There, there truly is a darkness, a futility in the way of thinking apart from you. When life is alienated from you, an unbelief, we see it plainly in the world in which we live. And, And many here can call back or remember back to that time when that was the case in their lives. But you did rescue God. You stepped in out of darkness and you brought to us the light of the gospel, the gospel concerning your son. The same gospel that saves today. the time where where we met you, Lord Jesus, not just a knowledge about you, a concept, but a relationship, a meeting you as our our Savior, as, as our King, as belonging to you. And my prayer, Father, for us as a church, for those here who have met you, Lord Jesus, that we would take hold of you by faith, 
that in every way we would put on the new self working with you, working with this activity by your Holy Spirit of grace, changing us from the inside out, that it is not passive. We are not along for the ride. We are actively to participate with you, engaged in your work of grace. And so I pray as we spend time with whom we have met and and have gotten to know and look forward to getting to know more as we open your word and we search scripture, we seek your face, Jesus, that you would meet us there and bring us closer. And we would walk with you through this life in such a way where where our faith does mature, where we are strengthened more in you, where we are more humbled by your great love and from that fall more in love with you. And I pray for ones here perhaps who are having that question circulating in their mind. Have I met Jesus? Maybe I think I have, but I'm not sure. Father, if that question is present, I'm thankful for it, that there's that stirring there. And I pray that they would not let that question fade away and be forgotten, but they would, they would seek the answer. And the source that they would go to for that answer would be your word. They would go to the Bible that you would renew the spirit of their minds and show to them, greet them, perhaps for the first time, with the God of their salvation. So Father, I thank you so much for this time that you've given us as a family of believers to spend together and worship with you. And I pray as we have the light of the gospel, that as as we do live in this world that we are not of, but we are sojourners in, as we live it with you, that we would be indeed bright lights that draw the lost in like like a moth to a flame, that there would be those who would be drawn in and that we would share the testimony of the light of the world how you, Lord Jesus, have changed us and are changing us, that we would gently, with respect and conviction and humility of heart, bear witness to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Mobilize your church, empower her and use her for the advancement of your kingdom. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.